Well, good morning, everyone. You know what I love about Connect? Is you get a good cup of tea in between services. Because Dave gets the PG tips in and we get a good cup of tea. It is great to be with you guys today. Um, I know uh, that uh, you guys have been involved with the Dream Center uh, for a few years now. Uh, but today I just wanted to come and uh, just share a bit about not just what we do, but really dig deep into the scriptures if that's okay. But the video that you just saw was an incredible story. Uh, it was recorded a few years back now. But I wanted to highlight it because, uh, not because of the student that was there, although he now has gone on uh, and we are paying him to be a student leader. He actually gets paid through us to help us uh, now with the students in that program. But I, I didn't want to focus on the story there, but more so look at Mike, the volunteer. Mike came to us um, he was a, an engineer at CAT. He's now retired. We now can't get rid of him. He's at the Dream Center every day. Uh, but he came to us and said, hey, I would like to um, just help with your after-school program. So like most nonprofits, when they see an engineer walk through the door, they said, great, you can teach math because you're smart. <laughs> and so... He uh, started teaching math, and to be honest with you, he didn't like it. About two or three weeks into it, he came to me and said, hey, um, you know, I love coming to the Dream Center. I understand why you've got me doing math with the kids, but could I bring my motorbike in? I'm like, yeah, sure. He goes, I want to teach some kids how to change oil and pump up tires and things like that. And we said, yeah, sure, what, whatever you want to do. So he comes in and you saw him uh, there with Isaiah. This kid just lit up. He started seeing things in 3D. He, he definitely was more of a, a kid that did things with his hands than, say, with academics. And so Mike, the volunteer, starts inviting other cat guys to come and help and inviting them to bring their motorbikes. And this thing just started to snowball to where now we not only have uh, motorbike repair, we also have small engine repair, so like lawnmowers and snowblowers, sit-down lawnmowers. Um, you name it, if there's a small engine and it moves, we, we fix it. Um, in addition to that, we have a carpentry studio. We have a 3D printing area. We have a T-shirt printing area. We have electrical circuitry. We're about to launch a coffee business. And this is to show kids a way out of poverty through business, through the trades, and really set them up for when they leave high school to then go into some of these areas. But Mike came and all he wanted to do was bring his motorbike. That, that's what was in his hand at the time. And so you may say to me, yeah, but Andy, why do you bother? We watch the news. We see things happening in Peoria with the violence, with teenagers especially. It's so overwhelming. Why do you bother? 
We had bought the Dream Center 15 years ago. It was the old YMCA. And two weeks into having that building, we decided that we were going to make use of the basketball courts. The basketball courts um, had been used, obviously, a lot with the Y. So people knew about this building. And so we invited kids from the neighborhood in the inner city and said, hey, we're going to have basketball on Thursday nights. This is the first thing we had done with any youth programs there. So there was a coach there, Gary. He said, hey, I love uh, working with inner city kids. I've coached basketball before. I'll come and be a part. So we were about two or three nights into having the basketball program. And this kid came in with his brother. And we knew literally as they walked through the door, there was going to be issues that night. This kid was very disrespectful to any of the leaders, any of the coaches, any of the referees. On the, the basketball court, he's pushing kids around, he's being abusive, he's shouting, bad language, and we're like, wake up call to what we are doing in the city. It got so bad that we actually had to ask him to step out uh, and not play. And that was hard for us. This is the first person we've ever had to like discipline at the Dream Center. We're pretty good at it right now. <laughs> but the first time was pretty tough. He went and sat in our lobby. His brother finished up playing and, and left. And we were getting ready to lock the building up. It was close to 10 o'clock. And we come down into the lobby and he is still there with his brother. Been sitting there for a couple of hours. So we went up to talk to him and we're trying to get something out of him and we, we said to him, hey, where are your parents? And there was just a, oh no. And as we started to try and talk, an elderly African-American man came in, all apologetic. He was the granddad of the two boys and he was looking after him and he actually fell asleep and, and forgot to get and pick him up. So I pulled the granddad aside and just said, hey, can you just help us a little bit? We've had a bit of trouble tonight. And you could see his head drop. And you could actually see him starting to cry. And he started telling us about what had happened just a few weeks earlier, especially with the older boy. The older boy is at home and he gets word from his mom, you need to get into the closet. That was code for she was bringing a gentleman home because she was a prostitute trying to get money so that she can feed the boys. He gets in the closet and obviously he could see through the gap in the door and as he's looking through the gap, this man murders his mom. He saw it with his eyes and I don't know if you remember, but back in Peoria about 15 years ago, there was a serial killer going round after prostitutes. It then made sense to us 
He wasn't going to respect any man because he had seen a man kill his mom. He wasn't going to respect authority. He wasn't going to listen to anyone. He was built up with anger. That's why he was acting it out on the court. And as they left, I pulled Gary, the coach, aside. I said to him, what you do matters. You come in and being a part of this program, even though we haven't got it all together, it matters. All he had was a basketball, right? Gary was this coach. But he came and served week after week with those students to try and make a difference. Throughout history, there have been men and women that have stepped into the unknown. There have been men and women that have stepped into something that they're not used to, but they bring something that they've got in their life to make an impact that literally can change the history of someone, whether it's an organization or a church or a city. Today, I want to briefly just talk about one of those stories in the Bible. Now, it's one of those stories that we read a lot because it's in every gospel in the New Testament. It's written about four times. And this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, sometimes we can, we can listen and we can read these stories and we think, oh, that was a cute Bible story. But I want to try and take you to the actual event and really see what's happening during this time. Jesus had been going around uh, speaking and healing people and he had just got word that his cousin, John the Baptist, had just been brutally murdered. Herod had, had said that we need to kill him and they killed him. And so you actually read that Jesus pulls away from the crowd on a boat into the lake to just take a moment. We forget that Jesus was human. He felt them emotions. And he was mourning the loss of his cousin. He'd been out there a while and, and as he was out there, word had got that, hey, Jesus is out in the boat. He's got to come in soon. And the crowd had started to swell. And even in the midst of his grief, of his time of mourning, Jesus has compassion on the people who are in the crowd. We read it in Mark 6, verse 34. It says, Then Jesus landed, saw the crowd, and he had compassion on them. You see, even though Jesus was going through what he was going through, he had compassion on the people. He saw that people were needing to be healed. He saw that people were coming for answers. And he saw he had compassion on the folks. And I worry with society today that we get so used to seeing things that we lose compassion. 
that we turn on the news and there's another murder, there's another scandal, there's another riot, that we get so used to it that we lose that compassionate side. But in this story, even Jesus has got stuff going on, but yet he has compassion. And so in this moment, he knows that he can demonstrate God's glory and God's power to these folks. So we read in Mark 6.35, the next verse, it says this, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countrysides and villages. They can buy themselves their own food and they can eat. But Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And the response is, is, I think Jesus is messing with them at the minute. I I really do. I think he's playing with them. Because they then say, that would take more than half a year's wage for us to pay for everyone's meal. But he says, you give them something to eat. I think sometimes we look at our own situations and see things and see this campaign that the church is doing about giving and and we're like, man, we can't afford it. We haven't got the finances. But yet it's in that moment that God was tapping the disciples on the shoulder and saying, I need you to trust me for a miracle. Even though you don't have something to give the people, You need to trust me. See, Jesus was wanting to demonstrate something to the people. And that miracle that day, we are still talking about today, thousands of years later. So the disciples are like, okay, how? We're in the middle of nowhere. There is no Chick-fil-A. There's no pizza ranch. Like, what are we gonna do? So they, they start looking for someone with some food. Now, I've, I've got three kids. Two are married, living out in LA, and then Joy is living in our house. But I know that uh, if my kids were younger, trying to get food out of them would be pretty tough. Like, you're not having my food. This is my food. But they come across this boy And he has five loaves, two fish. And they said, Jesus would like your food. And so he says, I haven't got much, but what I've got, I'll give you. And he he gives it all. Everything he has, he gives it all to them. You see, the feeding of the 5,000 happened because Jesus invited a boy and the disciples in on the miracle. They got to be a part of something up close, but they got to be a part of something big. They didn't know it at the time, 
but he invited them in on the miracle. There's a famous speaker, a guy called Tony Campalo, and he tells her this story of going to a women's uh, meeting, like a, a convention type of thing. And uh, as he's about to get up, there's about 300 women there. The woman who was in charge um, gets up and reads this beautiful letter from a missionary who needed $4,000. This missionary needed this $4,000 and it was a bit of a case of emergency. She like needed it now. So the lady um, turned to Tony Campalo and said, um, would you pray that this money comes about and that this woman will be blessed with this $4,000. Now, Campalo, if you've ever followed him, he's pretty outspoken. And in the middle of this night, in front of everyone, he says, no, I'm not gonna pray. And there was a bit of a gasp. And he said, no, I'm not gonna pray, um, but this is what I'm gonna do. And he walked over to a table he took it out of his, out his wallet and the cash that was in there was $15. Now, he shares that that's where he got a bit worried because he thought there was a little bit more than that. And he put the $15 on the table and he said, we're not gonna pray for anything. We're gonna see what resources are in the room so that we can bless this missionary. And so people started coming down and started getting their money out and digging in their purses. And when all the money was collected, there was over $4,000. Kampala said this, now here is the lesson. God always supplies for our needs and he supplied for this missionary too. The only problem was we were keeping it for ourselves. And God's given you things, finances, to be able to bless not just the Dream Center, but this amazing church and all the different nonprofits that are involved in this Give campaign. He's already given it to you. He's already blessed you. But I want to move back to the story because Jesus does something that sometimes we forget about. See, not only did Jesus have compassion, not only did Jesus invite those folks in on the miracle to give, but before it's given out, Jesus blesses it. Jesus blessed and then man acted. As we read... Jesus blesses this food, but then gives the food back to the disciples to bless people. Jesus didn't hand it out. In verse 41, it says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. 
he also divided the fish among them all. Then the next verse, just a short verse, they all ate and were satisfied. In that moment, God blessed it, but then that blessing he gave back to his disciples to now go and bless others. And I could just imagine what was going on in the minds of the disciples. Like, we've got to hand this out. Like, this fish and these loaves, like, we're going to run out in the first line. But it's as though as they they kept going into the basket, there was more food and more food. And it says that there was baskets left over, that everyone was satisfied and they had leftovers. But they had to make the move. They had to take the food and give it out. That was the nervous part. Many years ago, I uh, had the opportunity to go to the LA Dream Center. The LA Dream Center is like the mecca of dream centers. It's the old LA hospital that they bought, a 20-story facility, helping around 50,000 people per week. And one of the programs that they have is a thing called Adopt-A-Block, and Matthew Barnett, uh, the guy who's in charge there, said to me, Andy, why don't you come with me and the team will go on on these buses and we'll go to Skid Row. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Skid Row. I've tried to explain it to people before, but Skid Row would be hell on earth. There's around 15,000 people that are homeless within this few block radius in LA, right downtown. Homelessness is rampant. There's drug addicts, mentally ill folks, prostitutes, gang members, people preying on people. I've never seen anything like it. We're on the bus and there's a lady sitting just across the way from me and she's a part of an Adopt-A-Block program, this type of ministry that goes into areas like this. And you can tell that she feels like she's an expert in this area. She's like the, the queen of outreach. And she's going on and on about how to do a doctor block and, and how to pray for people when you get there. And, and she just keeps going on. And, and to be honest, she was getting a bit annoying. You, you, you know those type of folks? Like they know it all and you're polite so you don't want to say, will you shut up? <laughs> and I remember pulling up right in front of this crack hotel And there are thousands of people, tents everywhere. We're about to get up 
off our seats and go onto Skid Row. And this lady says, um, God hasn't told me to get off the bus yet. So we're all looking at like, what? She said, uh, I'm waiting for God to release me to go out. And in my, I started to laugh, not at her, but to the side, you know, I didn't want to be that guy. But I started to laugh thinking, you, you don't need God telling you to get off the bus. There is poverty all around you. Jesus would be the first person knocking the door open on the bus to get out there. I remember standing at that step of the bus and as I moved forward, the smell just hit me. Smell of drugs and urine, death. And I turned back and saw the woman sitting there and I'm like, God just wants you to get off the bus. What you have in your hand, you've got to take with you and get off the bus and do something. It may be that you are just walking and praying for those people. It may be that God has, has a checkbook that you, you need to write a check so that some of these organizations can get off the bus and be equipped. But you don't stay on the bus where there's no action. You've, you've got to make the move. Today, I'm hoping you've heard my heart that Jesus was moved with compassion to do something. But in that movement, he took his disciples with him to bless people. But there had to be movement. There had to be momentum. There had to be a way that they could step in and make a difference. God would bless it, but there had to be movement. So today, will you get off the bus? Will you make a difference Make a difference with what's in your hand. It may be finances. It may be you've got to get involved with one of these nonprofits. Will you make a move? Because God will bless it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you didn't just tell us in Scripture how to do things but you demonstrated it through Jesus in society. That he was with the poor and the broken day in, day out. That he took people along with him on the journey so that they could be part of the miracle in seeing lives being changed and transformed. So God, we pray today as as we are making this move of giving, that you'll bless it, you'll multiply it, and it will impact lives forever. Amen.